Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. Today we preview the year's second major as Wingfoot in New York hosts the US Open. Hi guys, Justin Rose here and welcome to the Golf Monthly Clubhouse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, brought to you by our friends at Titleist, the number one ball in golf. For more, visit titleist.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Clubhouse. My name is Tom Clark and this week I am joined by Elliot Heath. Hi, Elliot. Hello, Tom. And also Sam Tremlett. How are you doing, Sam? Hello, guys. Good to be back. Excellent. Good stuff. And we've got the three of us because it is the second major of the year. The US Open starts on Thursday and we're all quite excited about that. So we thought we'd get all three of us together to chat through it. But firstly, Elliot, how was your golf at the weekend? Oh, yes. Uh, so I was at Dodsbury Golf Club in Bournemouth at the weekend, uh, trying out my new Honma irons, Honma driver. They are quite possibly the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I'm almost about getting iron covers. They're that sexy. But uh, yeah. yeah, I hit them quite well on Saturday and then played quite poorly on Sunday. But um, oh, no. yeah, it was a nice course, good golf weekend. And the weather was amazing, so I'm a little bit sunburnt. Is the, is the honeymoon period over already with the with the new irons? Uh, no, no. Going to the range tomorrow. Then we've got the Berkshire on Thursday, which I'm so excited about. And then, uh, yeah, I can't wait for Wingfoot as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm glad you've mentioned the Berkshire. I think we, we'll, we'll stop talking about your dodgy golf game quite quickly because you're going to get impressed <laughs> about it in a couple of weeks. Um <laughs> But we are, we are playing the Berkshire. We're playing 36 holes on the Berkshire, and it's for a very good cause. It's actually uh, for the Big Golf Race 2020, which is all about raising money for Prostate Cancer UK. So there's a small group of us who will be playing uh, the 36 holes on Thursday, which is obviously going to be quite tricky with the amount of light that's left now. And it's all about trying to raise a bit of money for this fantastic cause. And you can donate to the page so if you go to justgiving.com slash fundraising slash golf monthly 2020 or you can just go to the golf monthly website and follow the links to, from there uh you can donate uh and check us out on social media on thursday where you'll be seeing a bit of golf and seeing if we can get 36 holes played and we'll also try and get some uh video of elliot hitting it 150 yards with his driver <laughs> and me with my brand new golf swing uh, seeing if I can actually connect with a golf ball. So, um, yeah. And my, oh, my, oh, maybe Sam getting really angry because I, Sam yeah, well, is a I, I was going to say, like, I'm slightly concerned. I haven't swung a club since uh, when did we last play? It was at some event. I can't remember when it was. It was a few months ago. And so I haven't swung a club since. So, whatever's to the right of the first tee, they're, they're, if they're hosel adjacent, they could be in trouble over there. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, yeah, it could be good, good, uh, good fun, uh, but it's for a very good cause. So um, do, if you can donate to us, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, you know, do donate some money to this fantastic cause. Um, and I'll, I'll give another plug at the end as well. But yeah, so do check us out on social media as well, because it's going to be some, some hilarity, I'm sure. Um, so we're going to have a quick recap on what happened over the past weekend because there's some pretty big stories that happened, wasn't there? Um, starting with Miriam Lee, 
who beat Brooke Henderson and Nellie Corder in a playoff to win her maiden major title at the ANA Inspiration. The Korean chipped in three times on Sunday, including at the 18th in regulation for an eagle. It's her fourth LPGA Tour title and first in three and a half years. Lee is now up to 21st in the world. I mean, chipping in three times on the Sunday of a major, that's pretty good timing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so she chipped in on the, the sixth. The one on 16 was absolutely sensational. She said after that was her best shot of the day. And uh, <laughs> chipping on, on the last as well for Eagle, which, is, yeah, is phenomenal after using that, that big blue backstop behind the green. But, yeah, she would have just hoped to uh, chip that up close and tap it in for birdie and maybe get into a playoff. But, yeah, uh, it was a really, really good final round, actually. Very entertaining. Yeah, and you've, you've mentioned the controversial wall there. Uh, which was obviously just a really a large bit of advertising, wasn't it, um, for everybody who supported the event. But the where they put it on, on that hole, it kind of completely changes that golf hole, doesn't it, Sam? Yeah, to be honest, I have a real problem with this. because, Well, basically, I saw a, a tweet that was basically a, a journalist had talked to um, Miriam Lee's caddy, and basically on the 18th hole they said he, she didn't have a club that could hold the green in terms mm. of like a long iron. So she basically, they basically agreed, right, let's just hit a three-wood or a hybrid, whatever it, whatever it was, just hit it into that and then we'll get a free drop. So they kind of, the world has completely changed how they played the hole. Like I'm not taking anything away from the chipping or anything, the eagle, because like that's deserved to win and everything, but it's just like that wall shouldn't be there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, well, the, the thing is there, Sam, obviously, is that it is the same for every golfer in, in that event. point. Yeah, so it's not like, they were the only people who were doing that. They were all doing it, weren't they? Um, because there's water right behind that wall. So if you actually, if you hit hybrid or three with, there's a chance you go in the water over the back. So the, usually they would have actually just laid up and then tried to to get up and down for birdie or something like that. Um, but it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because that wall is there to obviously trying to push the the sponsors of the event, and we should really be thanking those sponsors for helping get the the major played this year, shouldn't we? Well, yeah, yeah, I guess they're a very long-term sponsor, ANA, and you know they've got a lot of money, so fair play to them there. But uh, I think there was a grandstand there anyway previously, mm. so I don't think they've done it on purpose to make it a backstop. It just happened to turn out that way, and I think next year that they're, they're going to really think differently about it. Yeah, because it is. I think you know if you're that golf hole's been designed so that is it's a risk if you go at it in two because there's water at the front and at the back, isn't it? You know, it's a yeah. pretty tricky, tricky shot from a, you know, from a, a good distance away. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's a shame that golf courses sometimes lose their edge because of the, uh, the tournament structure, but you know, it is what it is. And I, you know, as you said, I don't think we should take anything away from, from Miriam because it was a fantastic performance, uh, under real pressure, wasn't it? Yeah, and Nelly Corder was, uh, well, she won a head coming down the 18th and she didn't birdie it in regulation and she didn't birdie it in the playoff either. So, yeah, um, yeah Miriam Lee was the worthy winner, finishing eagle birdie on that hole when she played it twice. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and there was, you know, it, I thought it was a, a pretty decent weekend for headlines. We had that and then we had uh, on the PJ Tour, Stuart Sink won his first title in over 11 years at the Safeway Open. The 47-year-old beat Harry Higgs by two in California for his first win since that playoff win over Tom Watson at Turnbury in 2009. Sam, how old were you in 2009? 
when the Open was being played, I yeah. was 16. 16. Can you remember that event? Yeah, I can remember um, what Watson having oh, his, his putt from behind the green on the last, I think it was, because he went long on the 18th hole, and I was just like, come on, Tom. And then the playoff was just like, kind of fell off a cliff, really, didn't they? <laughs> like, that's yeah. basically what I remember. <laughs> And uh, so I was, that, I was lucky. I was actually there. So that was my first open that I went to. I just I started working for Golf Monthly in January two thousand and nine, and that obviously happened in July two thousand and nine. So very much I was just at the back of the grass. I was actually standing more or less next to Tom Watson's wife when this was happening. So um, and the whole of Turnbury wanted Tom Watson to win. But <laughs> it was well, more or less the whole of the world did. Um, and I and afterwards, looking back at it, felt a bit sorry for Stuart Sink because he was no one wanted him to win, and all he, he was just doing his job. Um, and in the playoff, as you say, suddenly it was it just didn't seem very fair. It was like men against boys all of a sudden. Um, but I can't believe that it's been 11, 11 years since that. And now Stuart Sink really he looks kind of like the older veteran player now. And I was I was really cheering him on on Sunday. Were you, Elliot? Yeah, yeah, it was really good to see his, his son on the bag as well. That was a, a lovely partnership, and he had some great words to say about him after. Uh, yeah, it's, it's mental that it's been 11 years. I think a 36-year-old wins a major championship and doesn't win again until they're 47. So, uh, obviously, he's had a, a tough time with his wife. I think she had cancer, hmm. um, what, about a decade ago, maybe a little bit less, and obviously had some real struggles with his game as well, clearly. Yeah, yeah, and it, but he, I mean, Stuart Sink, very solid player. Um, I think you know, I think the Open win took him a bit by surprise, but you remember he's played. Uh, I remember watching him at the Ryder Cup in twenty ten, actually, as well. You know, and he was still a very solid player at that time. So, um, you know, I think it's fantastic to see him back in the winner's circle. Uh, and someone else who's back in the winner's circle is George Kutsia, who won his fifth European Tour title and first in mainland Europe at the Portugal Masters. He also won last week on the Sunshine Tour. The South African beat Laurie Cantor by two in Villamora. Tommy Fleetwood was third with Joachim Lagergren. Uh, and great to see Kutsia back winning again. Yeah, I was surprised that he hasn't won in Europe, actually. He's uh, obviously one of many great South African players and in great form after winning on the Sunshine Tour the week before. I think he was second the week before that as well. So uh, he's gone second first first his last three results. Yeah, good on him. Really good performance. I'm not sure if he's in the US Open this week, though, but yeah, he's uh, a very steady player. Yeah, I mean, he's. Uh, I'm just looking at his results now, and he's one of those players which, you know, he was a very decent player. I think back in 2012, that kind of period, he was a top 50 player in the world. And you thought, oh, you know, he's going to really push on from here. And he's obviously struggled with his form. But if you look at his last seven or eight events he's finished second eighth sixth seventh miscut second first first i mean that is some serious form um and i think that he should really be the be one of the guys that we probably look out for in the future um because if he gets going again he, he should be properly um competing on the main tours shouldn't he yeah yeah south africa is such a great golfing nation you look at uh, in recent years what the likes of eric van royen they, they perform on the European Tour and then they go to the next level. We've seen it before with Charles Schwartz or Louis Isaysen, Goose and Ernie Els before that. So, 
Uh, it obviously hasn't happened for him because I think he's well into his mid thirties now. But uh, yeah, I guess it's, there's still time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you said he's a very, very strong player in South Africa. It's amazing how South Africans play so, so well in South Africa, but don't always seem to travel travel that well. But um, I think he's definitely one, you know, to look out for in in the coming weeks and actually the coming years as well. Hi, I'm Nick Doherty, and you're listening to the Golf Monthly Clubhouse podcast. So let's stop talking about what happened last week and let's look forward to this week. The finally the second major of the year. Uh, obviously, the U.S. Open is usually played in June, but obviously we're now in September, and uh, we've been looking forward to this because Wingfoot is going to be a brute of a course. And I, I know Sam has some very good uh, good knowledge about that, so we'll we'll, we'll uh, listen to what he has to say in a minute. But it's just north of New York City, uh, hosts the U.S. Open for the first time since two thousand six. That's when Jeff Ogilvy won, when both Phil Mickelson and Colin Montgomery both double bogeyed the last. What do you guys remember about the 2006 US Open? I'm going even further back now, Sam. Uh, <laughs> do you remember when you were 13? So I remember um, it, Phil was going for three in a row, wasn't he? Is that correct? Because he won. Is that right? Am I talking rubbish there, Elliot? What, three majors in a row? or Three, three majors in a row, wasn't he? I thought he was going for three in a row, wasn't he? Because he just won the Masters and he'd won the PGA the year before, had he, had he not? I think that's right. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, I believe won, he was going for three in a row. And I mainly remember it because I was actively not supporting Phil because obviously <laughs> I'm, I'm a Tiger guy. So I wanted Tiger to win. And obviously Tiger missed the cut. And he'd obviously, I, I believe he just lost his father as well. So, I mean, I don't remember all that much about the course. Um, admittedly, it's changed a lot from what the version uh, that was there in 2006 to what it is now. But, I mean, I don't remember all that much watching it either. So, I mean, I'm going into this week with fresh, fresh eyes, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that uh, the big storyline was, uh, you're right, Mickelson was on for three in a row, and I think everyone thought he was going to get it done. But then Monty, who was still obviously competing to, to a good level at that point, he had, you know, a bread and butter shot for him, really, coming into to 18. Oh, yeah. He left it short right in horrendous short side in that dreadful rough they had. So um, he never really... I mean, Ogilvy just hung in there, and everyone else just fell away. And it's, it was one of those classic US Open moments where actually it was just the person who managed to hang in there the longest managed to win. If it had been played for another three holes, then we would have had a completely yeah. different winner. Uh, yeah. Ogilvy was like the one player, I think he parred the last four, whereas no other player did that. So you had somebody like... So it wasn't just Monty and um, Mickelson either. So Jim Furyk, he bogeyed the last to miss the playoff by one. Harrington bogeyed the last three, I think it was, to miss out on the playoff. It's just like an absolute train wreck over the over the last four holes. But Ogilvy was the one who, um, perhaps it's unfairly remembered that they threw it away. But he parred the last four on four of the toughest holes on the course, which is fair play. Like, yeah, and, and I think what it says is actually that I'm really, really looking forward to Sunday evening because um, we're not going to sh- be sure who's going to win this event until it's the final putt is hold. I think. Yeah. Um, we think that the well, I've seen some videos already. The rough looks quite brutal, doesn't it? Have you seen any of them, Elliot? Yes, um, saw the usual videos of people dropping golf balls in the rough. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would imagine that it's it's going to be very thick as it always is at US Open. But I think the star of the show this week is going to be the greens. The greens look unbelievable. I think uh, Monty said they were faster and, and 
perhaps more slopier than, than Augusta. Jack Nicholas once said they're the most difficult set of greens I've ever seen. And uh, obviously Sam will, might, might say, but it's been completely refurbished. And yeah, I think it's just going to be absolutely brutal. And I don't see anybody winning it with a score under par. No, I don't think either. So Sam, you, you've been doing a little bit of research on this. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm putting you under the uh, under the microscope. No, no. What, what do you think is going to be the, the things which people are going to really spot whilst watching? I think it's you mentioned the greens. But it's not one of those, it's not on a spectacular piece of land, is it? No, it's a, it's okay. a very mundane uh, piece of land. That, so basically it's designed by um, A.W. Tillinghurst, the guy who did Best Page Black, and he also did the East Course and Bolter's role. Um, and so he basically wanted to make sure that the main thing about the course was the approach shot. So he always said a controlled shot to a closely guarded green is the surest test of any man's golf. So like the approach shots are everything at Tillinghurst and that's like going to be the one thing that a lot of people will get wrong in terms of the players. Um, but then also the greens are, as Elliot said, the greens are absolutely mental, like especially like the first hole, like there's slopes everywhere. You don't know where it's going to go. And there's like, they've also been renovated by Gil Hans and like what they've done is expanded a lot of them by 10, 15%, which means that a lot of the, pins that weren't possible in 2006 because of green speeds, they're now possible. So it's just, I think, yeah, I mean, Elliot's got it right. The greens are going to be rapid and there's lots of videos online of people dropping balls and they're like rolling down the greens, all this kind of stuff online. But also the short game has to be completely on. Like every single player has to be like on because the bunkers are usually about six to eight feet below the surface of the green a lot of the time which means you if you miss the green in the bunker you're in you're in trouble but then the rough is going to be up as well which means you need to hit the fairway you need to hit the green you need to so it's just there's i'm so excited this week because it's going to be a total test mm. there's not there's not one thing like every single aspect of the player's game is going to get tested this week it, it sounds absolutely impossible <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm I've, I've done some research looked at videos and like the rough looks ridiculous, like it just looks absolutely impossible. I don't know. I think there's possibly when I looked at videos of it, I think there's two holes that I was like, that's a birdie hole. I think it's <laughs> I think it's five, which is a drivable par four, which is like 320. I think it might be six actually. One or the other. But even then, if if they hit a driver down there, there's a creek long left, there's a massive bunker short right. Pins are always gonna of course they're gonna put a pin on a drivable par four in the most difficult location. So it's like, it's a birdie chance, but is it? Like, like yeah, yeah. Some of the holes are just absolutely mental. And the start as well, sorry, I'm rambling on here, but one, two, and three are incredibly tough holes. So one is a long, longish par four, but the green is absolutely mental. Two is a long par four as well with trees and two bunkers guarding the green, which looks insane. And three is like a 240 yard par three. <laughs> It's just like as far as starts go, it's like yeah. You start with three doubles, you're you're gone already. Like yeah, I think uh, Jeff Ogilvy only made nine birdies in 2006, which is possibly the fewest of any U.S. Open winner of all time. I may have read. Uh, so yeah, also on top of that, it's 7,500 yards long. Yeah, and it's only got two par fives, I believe, as a par 70. So. As a viewer, it's just going to be absolutely magical, I think, and it's going to be a. a a brilliant US Open setup. It's going to find out who is the best golfer that week. 
which is exactly what it should do. Hopefully, the USGA don't ruin the course, which is, yeah. you know, it's always controversial at the US Open because um, I think Shinnecock was that 2018. That was very, very controversial. Had Zach Johnson saying they've lost the greens and, uh, and loads of other players saying similar. So, yeah, let's just hope the USGA can, can not, you know, cross that line and make it too difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just hope they get out of the course's way. Like, just let the course kind of be the star of the show kind of thing. You don't have to set it up difficult, really hard or anything. It's going to look after itself. Like, Yeah, a- absolutely. Absolutely. I think you said that right. You know, actually, it doesn't sound like it needs too much to make it too hard. So, you know, just put the – hopefully they've tried and tested where they're going to put the pins and, and, and go from there. Um, I mean, let's, um, let, let's look back at what the storylines, you know, are really are this week. Gary Woodland obviously defends the title that he won last year at Pebble Beach. You know, 2018 and 2019 winner Brooks Kepka is actually out with injury. Uh, DJ is obviously the bookie's favourite after he won the FedEx Cup just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and his, his only major, of course, came at a US Open in 2016. We've had a couple of, of people have to withdraw because of uh, positive COVID-19 tests and the former Scotty Scheffler and Sam Horsfield. Big, big disappointment for both those young guys. Uh, and of course, Americans have now won the last five US Opens after Mike Keimer won in 2014. I mean, they're all big headlines already, aren't they? I'm, I mean, I'm really gutted for Scheffler and Horsfield, who who must have been really looking forward to playing. Yeah, Sam Horsfield obviously won twice in the UK swing to top the order of merit and get one of those spots. So that's a massive shame for him. And then Scheffler as well, who was named PGA Tour Rookie of the Year yesterday, finished tied fourth in the last major, finished fifth in the FedEx Cup. Won $5 million in his first season on the PGA Tour, and he looks a really, really good player. So, uh, yeah, it's a shame for those guys. But ironically, uh, Brandon Grace has got one of those spots, and Grace had to miss the PGA Championship due to COVID. So, I guess there's a little silver lining for him there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and and Sam, it's going to be a shame that Kepka's not going to be teeing it up because he's obviously been such a, a, a fantastic player of US Open courses in the last few years. But I suppose that gives everyone a little bit of hope, doesn't it? Yeah, so I think this is like the archetype Kepka course. <laughs> like, like if he was playing, he would have been my pick. I know he's had he had injury issues all of this year, as much as he tries to deny that. But it's it's going to play so tough, and it's just like he seems to thrive on. If it, if everybody else is struggling, he seems to thrive himself on that. And in the U.S. Open scenario, as you said, like he just seems to raise his game every time, and it's a shame. It's a real shame that he's not playing because I think he would have. I think he would have been there at the business end of the tournament on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, uh, there's also Gary Woodland, who, I mean, he came under the radar a bit last year when he when he won. He played very solid, actually, at Pebble Beach, didn't he? How do you think Woodland's going to do this year, Elliot? Uh, well, I think he's actually due a good performance. He was fifth. I think. Yeah, I think his best finish is fifth since the restart. He hasn't really done anything since that victory, I think. Looking on his re- uh, record, he was third and fifth in the Asia Swing last year in mm. uh, October time. So maybe he's going to going to peak again. But yeah, looking at the odds, I think he's around a hundred to one, which seems a little bit ridiculous for a guy who is known as a ball striking machine, basically, on what is going to be a ball striker's course. Albeit, you do need the putting and chipping. So if he can get that to tick this week, uh, yeah, I think a hundred to one for Woodland is very very generous. Yeah, and and then let's look at the contenders. Let's look at our picks. Who do we think are actually, is actually going to do well this week? Because there's going to be some people who we don't fancy at all. But there's obviously those guys in there that we 
we need to to mention. So um, before we get your picks, let's just go through them a bit. I mean, obviously, let's mention DJ. Obviously, PJ Tour Player of the Year, second in PJ Championship uh, after a full 54-hole lead in a major. Obviously, won the FedEx Cup as well. He's obviously the man to beat, isn't he? Yeah, we've spoken about DJ loads on this podcast and, you know, we've been digging it up for for two months now and, you know, this is what it's all about. It's what I keep saying. He squandered his fourth 50-hole lead in a major last time out and, yeah, he looks like the man to beat. His game is absolutely firing in every single department and he's rightly the, the best player in the world now and the favourite. So, can he take the pressure? I mean, in the past, he hasn't been able to live up to that pressure, but... If any week is going to be his week, it's got to be this one. It's it's time for him to get another one on the board. Like he's on the best form of his life. So when he was on really good form, well, in what year was it when he fell down the stairs and missed the Masters? When he was on really good form, what year was that? That was sixteen. Sixteen, yeah. and like he's got kind of no excuse now. I'm not saying falling down the stairs is, is an excuse, but <laughs> he's on the best form of his life, and like he needs to start adding to the the major hall because like. I mean, I get he's won a FedEx Cup and I get he's got more than 20 PGA Tour wins, but it's about getting the majors, isn't it? That's how I yeah. feel. Maybe I'm being harsh, but... No, 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 I think, I think, I think you're right. And uh, that moves us nicely on to the next person who has not won a major now for six years, but he's also celebrating as he's just become a dad, and that's Rory McIlroy. Obviously won the 2011 US Open. I fear for Rory around this course, unfortunately, We've seen before that when the chips, you know, when he, when things aren't quite going his way, he sometimes can, uh, his head can go down and he, he can suddenly shoot a very high score. And I just wonder whether this might be a bit too much of a battle for Rory. Yeah, I, I've, I've got a feeling for him this week, though, and I, I don't normally have that feeling. So, yeah, I mean, on paper, it's set up for him. But then we've seen him be wild with the driver. We've seen him be wild with the wedges, wild with the putter. but. I don't know. I just, I, I just feel good about Rory this week. I don't know why. I, I'm never normally feeling good when it's a major because obviously he just hasn't performed in majors for over six years now. But yeah, I, I feel good about Rory this week. I'm not sure why. I'm steering well clear of Rory this week. <laughs> I'm like, he's my guy. I love Rory, and I'd like nothing more than him to ring me up and say, eh, "Screw you, Sam. I won." <laughs> but I'm steering well clear of Rory this week. He just like I know it's a beating a dead horse here, but on greens like this, you got to putt really well. You got to hold those five to ten footers for pars. And I'm sorry, I just don't think he's going to do it well enough this week. I th- I th- yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm the same. I'd love him to do well, but uh, I, I fear for him as well. But one person I think who could have a good week if he can keep his temperament under control is John Rahm. Uh, I was looking at a few stats yesterday when I was doing betting tips and. Now, last year, he was second, I think, on overall driving, or for total driving, as they call it, and also top five for bogey avoidance as well. I mean, he should be absolutely suited perfectly for this course and to do well. But I just wonder if he still is getting a little bit fiery in the majors. Do you think, think that John Rahm's going to have a good week? I just think that's such a myth about Rahm's temperament. I think <laughs> it, it helps him, if anything. And I know what I've just said about DJ there being the best player, but hands down for me, John Rahm is the best player in the world. He's He still hasn't won a major, you know. Could it be this week? Possibly. He's um, he's shown signs. He hasn't really properly had a run at a major yet. And 
yeah, I don't see why it couldn't be this week. I mean, he's definitely got the short game and the putting to do it. Let's say that. Yeah, Ram is basically my, my one of my picks. I've got a couple, and Ram is one of my picks. So he's won the most recent tournament. That was kind of US Open conditions at the BMW. And mm. like everybody says, like, oh, he makes a lot of birdies and everything like that. And it's like, but he's clearly shown that he can grind as well. And yeah. he beat DJ. So he's going to have huge confidence for that. He got to world number one this year. I just think it's time for him to time for him to get to get one on the get one on the post like it's just yeah i i, I think of all the short price favorites uh, having looked at them all i think john Rahm is the one that really uh stands out for, for me uh i mean i mean the last one i think we should would chat about before we we look further down the field is justin thomas as well obviously three wins in the 1920 pj tour season he did win the 2017 pj championship as well um i think thomas is a uh, is someone who Again, he he kind of just comes under the radar, doesn't he? Even though he's such a good player, um, but he doesn't seem to ever be one of the one of the really really short price favourites. Um, you probably get him for about about ten to one, I think. So um, I think Thomas has got a very good chance this week. Yeah, he's he's very high on the uh, tee to green strokes game rankings, and yeah, there, again, there's there's nothing stopping him winning this week. But he's been a little bit frail sometimes. He's he's won quite a lot recently, so. It's going to be very hard for him to back that up with with yet another victory. You saw Justin Thomas frail. Gosh, what can you say? <laughs> I, mean, I think he's the most. He's won the most PGA Tour events the past four years or something. Like, yeah, no, that's very fair because he is a yeah. he's clearly an absolutely class player. But uh, you know, he probably should have won a few more majors by now with that talent. I, I think I think that's true. I mean, I, I also don't agree with him being frail to be honest with you, but. Um, <laughs> I think you know, he's one of the guys who you go, what is his strength of his game? And it's every single bit of his game yeah. is a strength. Uh, you know, he's a fantastic putter, drives it a country mile, really laser-like actually with his eyes. He's he's an amazing player, isn't he? So, um, yeah, I think he's definitely someone to look out for again this week. Uh, let, let's quickly just touch on a few others. Uh, so, Tiger Woods, we're, we're aware this this golf for him. Tiger Woods. Uh, I think he's, yeah, as you say, he's, he's probably coming in under the radar a bit. No one really expecting anything. But of course, he has won three US Opens. I think it's all down to um, what he's like of the tee, isn't it? Yeah, so normally in majors, I feel really good about Tiger and really bad about McElroy. And I think it's just the complete opposite. <laughs> um, yeah, like, like what you said about McElroy there, Sam, I just can't really see Tiger just grinding out six foot par putts all week for par. I think. There's every likelihood that he could be six, seven, eight over par after a couple of rounds, unfortunately. But saying that, he is the greatest player of all time. And, you know, he's still got the, the mental game for it. It's just whether physically he can hit the ball well enough. I, I yep. disagree. Disagree completely, Elliot. Like, he <laughs> loves he loves holding those six to eight footers for par. Like, he, he, that's what he was so good at. I mean, he's a grinder a lot of the time. He, he's proven that he can win on courses making a lot of birdies. And he's proven that he can win on courses where he has to grind. So I don't believe that in the slightest. <laughs> it's, his, it's his body that's going to be the issue. And if he hits it in the rough, how yeah. much power is he going to be able to get? It's not if he hits it in the rough, it's when he hits it in the rough. He can't keep it on the planet with his driver. And his putting for me has been, yeah, quite bad recently. Which, I, you know, I'm so sad to say that because I love him. He's the best putter of all time. But, you know. I think we should stop using the word grind. I think we've said it about 400 times today. So, uh, 
Uh, and there's one person here who I wouldn't say is uh, associated with that word, uh, but he's going for try and complete the career Grand Slam again, having had six run-ups in the US Open. That's, of course, Phil Mickelson, uh, 50-year-old Phil Mickelson, who has had some success, of course. He did win on the Champions Tour a couple of weeks ago, but on a very, very different course and a very different challenge. <laughs> Um, you know, what do we think about Mickelson's chances here? Because he's going to get uh, he's going to get a lot of headlines as he always does at US Opens. Um, I mean, his big issue again, we've talked about keeping uh, the drive on the planet. You know, he hits a lot of wides with his driver, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got the short game, that's yeah, you know, he's got the best short game around still. He still he has. Um, but Mickelson's probably going to find this a bit of a struggle, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. Also worth mentioning as well that with no fans. There's not going to be areas where the rough is trampled down. So on some occasions, Phil Mickelson is so wild, and Tiger, he hits the ball so wildly that like they can get lucky with a lie in terms of where the crowds would be. Whereas this week, then there's going to be no rough where they can have it trampled down. So again, what you said there about Mickelson, I think is dead right. He's can't see it. It'd be great. Yeah, but, it's a great story, but no. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, though, he's in very good confident form and you know he, he was second here last time wasn't he or something like that he only missed out by one shot he's got good experience of the course and he's yeah definitely the second best player of his era so has he got one great win left in him i don't know <laughs> we've, we've chatted through the favorites and come up with big stories i want to know who your picks are now so uh elliot you can start off as Sam's already kind of said that he's, he fancies John Rahm. So, Elliot, come on, who, who, who do you like the look of? Uh, well, if I was putting serious money on it, I would have to go DJ. My second pick would be Rory. But uh, from the guys really outside the top, I think Fleetwood looks really good. Was third last week in Portugal. Got a really good record in majors, especially in this tournament. He was second in 2018, fourth the year before. And, uh, yeah, ball striking machine. So, go on, Tommy. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Sam, any, anyone else that you wanted to mention? Yeah, so I've got a bit of an outside shot because he always flies on the radar a little bit. Um, Jason Day. Um, yeah. Because he's got some good form in 2020. So since the restart, he's had four top tens. Um, since, uh, I think during the playoffs, he had a couple of meh results. Like, not very good, but he's played really well at tilling half courses before. And his short game and putting is usually at the top end of the, the stats leaderboard on the PGA Tour. So I just think he could be a cheeky each way bet, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, um, I mean, I've had a good long, long hard look at this and there's a, there's three people, all very similar odds, you know, mid-20s to 30s, which I all quite like the look of. Jason Day, I think, is a good shout, actually. Um, you know, he's, he's a fantastic putter on his day. He's 35 to 1. Tommy Fleetwood's about 33 to one of the guys that you mentioned. But um, out of the picks I've done, I mean, Webb Simpson, I can't not pick him. You know, obviously, has won a US Open, has played fantastically this year. He is a grinder, if we say grinder again. You know, uh, you know, he. I think he's someone, you know, to look out for. He's also quite decent odds at 25 to one. I also really like the look of Daniel Berger this week. You know, very, very good driver of a golf ball and a very decent putter as well. Again, that bogey avoidance stats, he, 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 was, he, he was well placed for that as well. He's someone I think could have a very decent week. You can get him about 30 to 1. And then as the more and more that you've, we've been speaking today, 
There's one person who we're not mentioning who I think could have a very, very good week. Uh, although not, of course, the most popular man on tour, and that's Patrick Reed. I'm who, thinking the same, yeah. Who we know, you know, gets his golf ball around, can keep it in play. And he showed up that when he won at Augusta, he can putt very, very well on very tough greens. So, and obviously, we know he is very, very gritty. Um, and I think he, there's nothing more that he'd like in the world to just show that he can uh, stay stay clear of the danger more than anybody else. Yeah. We've well, now mentioned about 39 players, uh, <laughs> which is very hard for anyone to actually pick out of. But um, we have done uh, betting tips, and we're going to do lots of different kind of betting tips this week. We've got outsiders, we've got the favourites, we've also got the standard ones as well. Uh, but obviously, for, to check them all out, do go to the Golf Monthly website, golf-monthly.co.uk. Uh, or do, of course, Google Golf Betting Tips and you click on the Golf Monthly uh, pages. Uh, of course, do check us out on our social media as well, at Golf Monthly on Twitter and Instagram and Golf Monthly Magazine on Facebook. So, And then you can uh, you can find all uh, our tips and then you can either go, oh, I, I agree with them, or you can just completely ignore us. That's uh, <laughs> up to you. Is there anybody on there that you think we should mention who are complete outsiders? You know, we're talking triple figure here. Is there anyone that really that you think you know is worth mentioning? Well, uh, we had Matt Wallace on the podcast a couple of months ago, and he was really confidently saying he backs his chances to win a major in the future. And you know, you can get him at two hundred to one with some bookies. So, yeah, um, that's somebody. Yeah, that's a good. Show. I, I, I'm also going to mention Rasmus Hogard as well, um, who's playing. I think this is his first U.S. Open. Is that correct? I think that's right. Um, He's obviously had a very, very good UK swing, having lots of uh, top six finishes. I think he had four top six finishes, including a win. Uh, obviously, this is going to be a completely different test. But if we're looking for someone who's reasonably long odds, who's actually in very good form, I think, um, you know, he, he's someone to look out for. He's also completely fearless as a youngster. You know, he's um, he's someone who he's been very impressive. So I think someone to look out for. I'm looking at the, the the bottom of the odds thing now. I'm sorry, there's like nobody that's jumping out at me. <laughs> Very unprepared, but I mean, uh, no, sorry, I'm steering clear. Of <laughs> Guys, thanks ever so much for your time. As, as as we've already said, you know, there's all kinds of US Open coverage going on on the Golf Monthly website. Do check it out, and do of course check out our social media, so you, and you won't miss a thing. I promise. Uh, and. and Again, one more last plug for our um, our day on Thursday, our fundraising day for Prostate Cancer UK. We're playing 36 holes at the Berkshire for the big golf race. You can donate at justgiving.com slash fundraising slash golfmonthly2020 or, of course, go to the Golf Monthly website and click on the links there. Any donations will be greatly received and it goes to a fantastic cause. So uh, thanks very much for your support. Sam and Elliot, thank you very much for today. Enjoy this week. Don't work too hard. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah. Cheers for having me on again. <laughs> no worries, Sam. No worries, Sam. Uh, and until next week, when we'll obviously give you all the latest from the fallout of the US Open, we will speak to you then. Bye-bye. <laughs>